This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and today I want to talk about how the church should gather. And in particular, I'm going to approach this because we are headed into the fall ministry season here at Cornerstone Church of Ames. And we have a lot of questions right now about what it's going to look like to get back together. So we have full gatherings happening at Cornerstone, still limited size, spaced out, all that sort of stuff. Our elders have spent a ton of time working together on what it means for the church to gather in the middle of this season. And we know As Christians out there, there are a lot of churches across America trying to make sense of what is an absolutely crazy time in our country and an absolutely crazy time as leaders to figure out how should we get together and what should we do to worship and do you need to wear a mask and what does that look like? And there's so many factors in all of this that our elders wanted to take the time in the podcast this week to kind of pull aside and give you a clearer perspective on kind of how we made the decisions that we've made as a team of elders here at Cornerstone and what that's going to look like for gatherings of worship and small groups across the fall at Cornerstone Church. And so here's the way that I want to do this. I want to actually take the time to describe for you kind of, I'll call them the two kind of polar extreme positions of churches in America. So one polar polar position is We need to get back fully to worship with no inhibitions or restrictions right now. No masks, full gatherings, indoors, period. That's We'll call that one extreme. On the other extreme is no one should be meeting for worship gatherings of any size, of any type, at all, right now. They're just too risky. Everybody needs to be staying home totally. So one I'm going to call fully reopen. The other one I'm going to call total lockdown. And I think... There are good, godly, wise people who may run to one of those two positions. And so what I don't want to do is assassinate people's character in the middle of a pandemic. I want today in the podcast to model kindness and fairness, even from people that we may differ from. All of that grounded in this reality. These people who may take a opposite position about what churches can and should do, They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to be together in heaven. And the last thing that I want to do is cast a slur on a brother, especially in the middle of what is an unbelievably difficult and challenging situation across the United States. There's not going to be one simple answer here because America is not a simple place. We're a huge country with vastly different regions and vastly different approaches We're all returning to learning, and even in our community, we're returning to a university with 30,000 new residents of our town who just moved in last week, and all of those factors mean we should give each other a ton of grace in the middle of this. And so what I want to do is try to explain as clearly as I can what Cornerstone Church will be doing by first setting out what we won't be doing. So I'm going to walk you through why we rejected each of kind of those more extreme positions and then the four kind of key guiding principles for how we will be gathering as a church. So first, I want to take the most time to address this first position, which is the the position of churches that are saying, no matter what, we should be getting back to meeting fully with no restrictions right now. And I want to be clear at the outset. 
I am going to spend more time explaining why our elders did not arrive at this position, because to be frank, among conservative Christian churches in America, more of them are disposed to say everyone should be fully back to meeting than are disposed to say no one should be meeting. So I run into this question a lot more. And so as such, I want to spend more careful time walking through what I'm hearing and trying to give some solid hopeful biblical grounding on how we approach this as elders at Cornerstone. So first off, let me state the kind of position here. The idea of getting back to meeting fully right now is that in light of the commands of Scripture and the priority of Christians gathering to worship, and in America, the cherished freedoms that we have to gather to worship, we should be meeting with little to no restriction in order to exercise both our right and responsibility to worship God. Anything less than a fairly full regathering to worship is an example of churches that fear man over fearing God. Now, how do folks get to this position? Well, I think generally speaking, there's a few factors. One of the factors we need to acknowledge at the outset is most folks who are saying we should return to gathering fully right now are also saying they believe the coronavirus is far less serious as a public health concern than would the majority of the medical community in the U.S. right now. In, in particular, this is the line of logic is when we entered into this crisis, we believed this was going to have such a high rate of death that there was no other option other than shutting down. But the further we've gone along, folks in this position would say, what we really believe now is this is close to a bad flu season, and we don't shut down society for flu season. Now, I have to admit here, I do think there's some validity in that point in the sense that we do know now more about the virus than we knew when we first encountered it, and we do know it is not going to have an infectious fatality rate of 10 to 15%. And so as such, we need to acknowledge there is a changing viewpoint on the seriousness of the virus. There is some reality to that. The second reason I think folks say we have to get back to gathering right now, and the one that I actually hear even more, is grounded in concerns with a civil government's overreach into the limitation of religious freedom. So in this, this kind of position, what you say is the government has a limit on which its authority is to go over the church and its gatherings. Civil government has divine authority over civil things related to the state, but they don't have jurisdiction over the life of the church. Now, I want to say I do think at some levels that concern is a bit overstated because all Christians acknowledge that the government does hold jurisdiction over the church in certain matters. For instance, zoning laws. The government sets what buildings can go in what ways based on zoning laws. Now, those zoning laws can be used righteously or unrighteously, but as a general matter, churches have acknowledged that in that sense a government does hold some jurisdiction over the nature of what a church is. We have fire codes, for instance, in our buildings as churches, and governments can regulate the utility of health practices that local churches apply to. So I just want to be clear here. I do not believe that civil government has no jurisdiction on any matters pertaining to the church. But I do think that there is some reason for concern about government overreach into religious liberty. Um, even in the case of a global pandemic, 
There are clearly instances where local, state, or national government authorities have issued regulations that are more limiting to churches than to other comparable activities in a town. I'll give you one example. Um, In the state of Nevada, multiple local jurisdictions allowed casino floors to open to 50% capacity while limiting churches to 50 people in capacity. So in that case, you had casino floors that could host thousands, but churches that no matter the size of the building that they were gathering in were hosting far, far less. Now, in that instance here, what you have is a law that is applied unfairly or disproportionately to impact a religious group that is performing a similar function to the non-religious group. And in that case, I do think there's concern there. And that is part of an ongoing trend that has been present in America in the, in the West more broadly toward a willingness to re- restrict religious liberties and religious freedoms of speech. So folks in this position would say, while we initially complied voluntarily with a government order to shut down, believing the virus was very, very serious, we were glad to do that. However, as time has gone on, we believe the viral threat is less than what we thought, And we believe that giving away liberties means we won't necessarily get all of them back. And so in light of that, we believe churches should be gathering as fully as possible right now. I think that's the fairest way to state that position. Now, our elders have four primary reasons why we don't believe that position is the one that we should take. I'm going to give you the four, then I'll explain them. The first is submission to governing authorities as a principle. The second is the witness of Christ in the world. The third principle is a confusion of loving caution with fear of man. And the fourth principle is the ongoing seriousness of the coronavirus. So let's take those one by one. First thing is, we believe that submission to governing authority is a very important practice for the church. And I want to uh, kind of point you to a resource here. Al Mohler, on, in his August 3rd briefing, it's a daily podcast he records about current events, addressed this question of churches fully reopening. And so I'm going to make sure that we put a link to that in our show notes. I would urge you to listen to that full podcast. But let me summarize the flow of Al Mohler's arguments. And also, just to state here, Al Mohler is the present president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. It is among the most prominent, highly conservative Bible seminaries in the country. So Al Mohler is the exact opposite of a liberal thinker in any way, shape, or form. Very, very conservative guy. And his argument is this. Churches should cooperate with governing authorities and respect and follow guidelines handed down in all cases so long as they are reasonable, neutral, and generally applicable. So if a regulation is temporary and reasonable— So it makes sense in a temporary sense of a pandemic, and it is both neutral, meaning it applies to all things of the same type, and generally applicable, meaning it's not just applied to a religious group or another group and discriminated between the two, then a church should follow that. He states it this way. He says a church or a religious camp or even a Christian school should follow the same health regulations as any other enterprise of the same size and operation in society. So while it is clear there have been instances when governing officials have gone over the line, whenever a law is reasonable, neutral, and generally applicable, 
Romans 13's call to obey governing authorities should apply to Christians. So as such, in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, in those cases where those laws are generally applicable and reasonable, Christians should, out of obedience to God, follow governing authorities. I know that's complex because in a COVID-19 pandemic, we have complicated situations. There are multiple and diverse jurisdictions. Your state and local officials may see things differently. And I know that clouds the picture and makes it difficult. But I believe it's important that in the main and in the mainstream idea, Christian churches and Christian leaders should respect and abide by all temporary, neutral, and generally applicable guidelines handed down by an appropriate governing official in the midst of a global pandemic. That's Moeller's basic argument, and it's the one that our elders follow here too. We find churches calling for acts of civil disobedience to health regulations in the midst of a global pandemic, both biblically troubling and honestly, oddly out of step in terms of their timing. And that kind of gets us to the second point. Beyond just submission to governing authorities, the second point is the witness of Christ to the world. In the midst of times of pandemic, I've heard Christians say, uh, Christians are always leading the way in a pandemic, therefore we should get back to worship. And I want to put this caveat in there. Historically, Christians have always led the way in the midst of plague and pandemic, but they have led the way in self-sacrificial love. So the key question is not, how should Christians get back to worship and lead the way? The key question is, how should Christians demonstrate self-sacrificial love to the world? That's the place we want to be in the lead. And in this instance, it may actually be that the voluntary restriction of our rights temporarily is the act of self-sacrificial love that is a witness to the world. We have found that the credibility of the gospel in our community has been enhanced because of our willingness to restrict our freedoms and operate with wisdom. And so we believe for the witness of Christ in the world that a cautious, but forward-moving approach is both wise and loving. And that gets me to the third concern our elders have had. Many who say we need to reopen quickly as Christians immediately make the characterization that those exercising caution must be motivated by fear. And we want to say, actually, there's a possibility that the exercise of wisdom and caution can be motivated by honor and by love. I go to what our governor of our state has said, herself a very conservative Republican. She has said this repeatedly, and I'm going to quote her, protecting yourself with a mask means you are protecting your friends, your family members, your coworkers, and your fellow Iowans. Each and every one of us has it in our power to slow the spread of COVID-19, and we should all step up and mask up. I am trusting that Iowans will do the right thing and wear a mask. I have a hard time hearing our governor saying that and thinking the only way I would wear a mask is if I'm terrified. I want to honor her. She's an authority in my life. And she just said that wearing that mask doesn't just protect me, it protects others. So I want to say it's possible, at least possible, that one could wear a mask in public or limit the size of your gathering motivated by love and honor not simply by fear. We should be very careful to characterize people's motivations for actions in a way that is simply not true of the people that we know. 
And here's the fourth concern that I have with this position. And this is why our elders reject it, is we do believe there is seriousness to the medical conditions connected with the coronavirus. We don't believe it is as serious as what we initially thought it was at the start. That is mainly because it's a novel virus. We don't know very much about it. But saying something is not as serious as we thought it was does not say it is not serious at all. We do believe it's serious. And in particular in America, where we have a population that is aging, that has higher rates of obesity and higher rates of comorbidities, there's a large percentage of our population locally and nationally that's at a much higher risk for severe infection and consequence due to the coronavirus. Additionally, due to its novelty, we simply don't know that much about its long-term effects or what's the most effective treatment pathway. So as such, we do think this is more serious than a general seasonal flu, and we need to approach it as such, given the guidance from medical officials nationally, locally, and at a statewide level. So for those reasons, our elders believe that fully reopening with no restrictions is not a wise pathway presently and should be rejected. That's the stance our church is taking. Now, there's a second extreme. I took a lot of time there. I think it's important to take that. The second one will take us a little less time. That other extreme is we should never gather until this thing is gone. In other words, any gathering is wrong. So in this position, due to the serious ongoing health risk and the spread of how a virus gets from healthy people to the most vulnerable people in a community— No one should be meeting in any groups of any size until this thing is eradicated because meeting is a risk to the life of those in the community. Now, I am sympathetic to this. I'm sympathetic to people who actually are having to live this way. I have many friends in California whose churches right now can't gather larger than 50 because there are government restrictions. And I respect that that is how they're going to have to do that. I respect as well that different people have different risk tolerances. Like take my own family situation. My grandma has a heart condition and is over the age of 80. My parents live a couple blocks from her and daily help her out in her house and are present in her life. So they have a different risk tolerance instead of risk factors involved in their life. You could also look at my sister. She is a nurse that works with COVID patients. And so as such, she has a much higher sense of how she needs to be cautious than even I would be. I just want to say I respect people who have different tolerances and different risk factors. There are different situations. There's all sorts of things going on there. Now, in the midst of all of that, here's what I want to say. For those who say there's no way anybody should be gathering right now, here's my gentle push to you. Underneath that idea is that any gathering of any sort is inherently too risky during the time of a pandemic. So when they say that, they think gathering for church, we shouldn't do that. And I want to say, I agree in this sense, gathering for church in all the ways we have always gathered with no consideration of health risks or factors, yeah, I agree you shouldn't gather for church in that way. But what I want to say is that's actually not what at Cornerstone Church we're going to try to do at all. We're going to try to be wise. We're going to keep people spaced apart. We're going to usher them in and out. We're going to gladly wear masks even while we worship indoors. And we're going to, as such, drastically lower the risk of coronavirus spread in our gatherings. We're doing that because 
risk of infection is not the only risk that is available in the coronavirus crisis. A risk of social isolation is really real right now. And actually, gatherings and social functions do matter for people's health, our mental health, our emotional health. People hurt when they're alone. And so I really don't want us to be socially distanced at all. I hate that wording. We should keep physical distance to not spread a virus, but social distancing and social isolation hurt people. People who are isolated can be injured, just as well as people who are infected. And that brings me kind of to the second concern I have with this view, is there's an oversimplification of the concept of risk. If you're going to say, I won't go outside until there is no risk, I gently want to say, there's always risks in life. The question is just at what level? I want people to be cautious and aware of the community spread risks for the coronavirus, aware if they're at a greater risk of infection, certainly. But to say we'll go out to life when there's no risk again, I don't know how that has ever been the case for us. And the third thing I want to say as a concern is this. I see folks who are like, there's no way we should be getting back to meeting, who are being very inconsistent in the way they apply risk tolerance. I'll never go back to a church gathering, but I'm going to a restaurant every week with my family because I want to go out to dinner. Well, going out to dinner in an indoor space at a restaurant is a noticeably higher risk factor than gathering spaced apart, worshiping with a mask, like what we're doing at Cornerstone. And so if you're willing to run your kids around to kids' sport activities right now, but you don't feel like you should take the risk to go back to church, as a friend, I just want to gently say, I don't know that you're being entirely consistent in the way you're applying risk. So that's the two polar positions. Get back to gathering fully right now, no matter what, and no one should be gathering right now. We have looked at both those positions as elders, and we've said, that's not the path we're going to take. We won't take either of those paths. Instead, what we will be doing is gathering wisely, gathering creatively, gathering with kindness, and gathering with optimism. And so I want to talk about those four principles that have directed how we make decisions. Wisdom, kindness, creativity, and optimism. So when we gather, let's take a public worship service. What we're going to do is we have a size limit now. Our building would normally seat about 2,000. We've found with families in there, it can seat about 500 in a service. So we'll add more services to keep people spaced apart, We'll usher you to your seat. We'll limit greeting times. We'll limit singing times. We'll gladly wear the face mask, as I affectionately call it, the spit catcher, when we are spitting as we worship. And we'll try to limit any sort of greeting time to being more outdoors where we can create more open air space. That's what we're going to do. That's directed by wisdom, kindness, creativity, and optimism. Wisdom means this. We are a large church, so we take the virus seriously. We take the principles of how to limit viral spread seriously. And our commitment is this. We want to create a low-risk environment for the individual with no risk of super spreading for our community. Low risk to a person and no risk to our community. That's what we're going to do. And in particular, I will say this. Masks are certainly a part of that solution. We have gladly cooperated with Iowa State with our local schools, with our stores. I mean, I live in Ames. I don't know what store you can go into in Ames where they don't ask you to wear a mask now. 
Cornerstone Church in Ames, Iowa. Our Sunday worship service this past Sunday was the largest physical gathering of people in our community since March. That means we have a higher responsibility, and so we're glad to go to a higher level when we gather. That's wisdom. The second principle is kindness and charity. Every step we take, we want to communicate with clarity and with grace. I don't want to judge others. I want to do the best we can. And every, man, every school board meeting I'm on, I want to write a note to everybody on there and say, you are trying so hard. Thank you. Even if I don't agree with a leader's judgment right now, folks, cut some people some slack. Have you noticed we're in a global pandemic? No one knows what we're doing. So we want to operate with kindness and grace. The third principle for us as elders has been creativity. Instead of focusing on what we can't do, on what we're limited by, we're going to do what we can do creatively to do the best we can. When you've got lemons, you got to make some lemonade. That's what my grandma always told me, and that's what our elders believe. And so that's where creativity leads to optimism. Optimism believes that God is bigger than the problem that we're in. He's sovereign over the coronavirus. We believe he's doing good, and we believe the gospel is not limited by this situation. So those are our four principles, wisdom, kindness, creativity, and hope-filled optimism. And that's how we're going to go into the fall. And so we're going to gather as a church. We'll gather wisely. We'll have smaller numbers. And so get ready, folks. We're going to have a lot more services. Even starting this Sunday, we got three of them, 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11. And for everyone listening to this podcast, please come to either 8 a.m. or 11. The 9.30 is going to be too full. Please and look for us to do four, we don't know, maybe five. We're going to keep going. But we're going to do it with a hope-filled optimism. Our youth meetings, we're going to have youth, and we're not going to have big gatherings of our youth group this fall. So 180 and Escape are going to be backyard youth group. So seventh grade boys in Ames, Mark Vance's backyard is seventh grade boys, 180 ministry, which terrifies me. I'm buying all the pop that I can find. And I'm going to pray and give them Mountain Dew and trust Jesus to change their hearts in my backyard, safely, socially distanced, outdoors. It's going to be great. And our kids' ministry. We would love to have kids' classrooms open on a Sunday, but that's going to take us quite a while because we need more volunteers and more space to do anything. So we're working to get nursery back going. And through this whole time, we're going to continue to pray for parents and resource you to be the leaders in your home that God called you to be. In all of that, you know what I think? God's going to do some, something awesome in all of us. It's different, but different can be beautiful. Different can be good. Trust God. Move forward with optimism. You know, this, this morning in the F260 Bible reading plan, I was reading out of Luke 12. And Jesus said to his followers, seek first God's kingdom and all these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. That's such good news. You don't have to be afraid, Cornerstone Church. Your Father delights to give you something better than gatherings as normal, something better than what we wish we could have for a kid's classroom. He delights to give us the kingdom, and nothing has stopped His generosity in this time. So what we're going to do as elders is try to lead with kindness and clarity, to try to lead with wisdom and awareness 
of the seriousness of the situation. We're gonna try to lead with creativity, focusing on what we can do, not what we can't. And we're gonna lead with hope-filled optimism because we have a Father in heaven who loves us and who gives us the kingdom. So little flock, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Live with confidence in Christ as we head into this fall, growing deeper together. Mm